God wants you to be happy. Now, before you wonder if I've read too many Joel Osteen books, please listen to the rest of the sermon because it will be filled with qualifications and clarifications. But it's hard to read through a book like Proverbs and miss the point that God desires for us to be happy. For example, Proverbs 17 verse 22 says, A joyful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. When it comes to the subject of happiness or joyfulness, there seem to be two kind of extreme views within the Christian church. Uh, The first is those who think God wants us to be happy and pursue whatever brings us happiness. Basically, we can do or should do even uh, whatever we want and not really worry about whether or not God approves because after all, God desires my own happiness more than anything. So that's one view and I'll point out throughout the sermon that I think that's a very wrong view, and that actually has several false premises. More on that later. But it's also a common idea in the church, the other extreme view, is that God wants us to do what he says and basically be miserable in the process. These folks seem to view Christianity as simply a list of thou shalts and thou shalt nots. Being a good, committed Christian means restricting your freedom to do as you please. We're supposed to sacrifice, lay down our lives for the Lord, and often such a view sort of treats Christianity as a duty, a bondage, rather than a joy. You follow Christ because it's what you're supposed to do. And while there is truth in some of these ideas, again, I think this perspective misses the mark of what Scripture actually teaches on the subject of happiness. And so with all of this in mind, let's see what is the biblical teaching on happiness, with a focus particularly on what Proverbs teaches. Before we get there, though, we need to go back to the beginning. As with so much in Scripture, it helps to start in the early chapters of Genesis. Back in Genesis 1 and 2, we have the story of creation. God creates light and darkness, land and sea, plants and animals, the sun, moon, and stars, and then at the end of all of his creation, he makes man. Adam was given an elevated position above the rest of creation, to subdue the world and rule as God's representative on earth. That's part of what it means to be the image of God. Adam was also given Eve as a helper, since God said it wasn't good for man to be alone. He knew that we needed uh, companionship and friendship, human relationships, and so he created Eve. And God placed Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. All of their needs were met, They had food all around them, rivers flowing through this garden. Everything, God said, was very good. God wanted them to be happy. He had made this world for them to enjoy. He wanted them to experience life in God's presence. And here's where we get to that first crucial point of this subject that must be understood. God knew better than they did what would bring them happiness. Everything that Adam and Eve needed to be happy was provided to them by the hand of God. And yet, they were not content. They chose to rebel against their creator. They ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because they found it desirable, meaning they thought that by taking that fruit, by eating the thing that God had told them not to, it would somehow improve their quality of life. It would make them wise. They would be like gods. And so they took the fruit And they ruined all of the blessing and the joy that they had in Eden. All of a sudden, you see them experiencing fear and insecurity for the first time. 
Pretty soon you find them blaming each other for their actions. Their relationship with God, their relationship with each other would never be the same. Here was this fruit, this thing that they thought would make them happier, and instead it ruined everything for them, just like God had told them that it would. And so it's true that God wants us to be happy, but that doesn't mean we should do whatever we think will bring us happiness, because ultimately we don't really know what will make us happy. God knows better than we do. Often the things that we think will bring us happiness, like Adam and Eve did with that fruit, end up bringing sorrow in the end. And so let's look now at what Proverbs has to say on this subject. First of all, you have Proverbs 17, verse 22, which you read just a moment ago. A joyful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. It is good and healthy for us to be joyful. Proverbs 18, verse 14 says, A man's spirit will endure sickness, but a crushed spirit who can bear. Now, this proverb is calling what we would term today depression. Uh, the point being that you can endure physical sickness and be okay, but if your spirit is crushed, even the will to live is gone. God doesn't want us living with a crushed spirit. He desires that we would experience true joy. Now, that kind of ultimate happiness cannot be found in a life of sin. It is true that there is pleasure in sin for a time, but in the end, it leads to pain. Proverbs 5, verse 22 says, The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him. He is held fast in the cords of his sin. Sin becomes captivity. It promises more than it delivers. Sin entices us by saying that it has some great thing to offer, something appealing to us, but then it disappoints us in the end. Sort of like when somebody gives you a chocolate chip cookie and you're all excited. Chocolate chip cookies, of course, one of the greatest things in creation. And you take a bite, you're ready for that amalgamation of flavors to hit your taste buds. And then the realization hits you, it is not a chocolate chip cookie, it is an oatmeal raisin cookie. Sin is something like an oatmeal raisin cookie. It always looks better than it is in reality, it makes promises that it fails to deliver. And so in our pursuit of happiness by way of sin, we end up only finding disappointment. Proverbs 29 verse 6 says, An evil man is ensnared in his transgression, but a righteous man sings and rejoices. So when we say that God wants us to be happy, what I mean by that is true happiness, not the false happiness offered by a life of sin. Now, there are many things in life that we think will bring us happiness, just like Adam and Eve thought that that fruit would somehow improve their life. Uh, we can chase happiness in all sorts of different directions. Proverbs 15, verse 21 says, Folly is a joy to him who lacks sense, but a man of understanding walks straight ahead. In other words, there are foolish people in this world who pursue happiness through folly, and they think that that's the best there is to life. The wise person looks for something deeper, something more satisfying, something better. And this is what a lot of Proverbs is all about, trying to convince us not to chase happiness through things that don't ultimately provide it. For example, uh, one way that many people seek to find happiness is through the acquisition of wealth. They think if they get a certain amount of money, then they will finally be happy. Proverbs warns us, that this is a never-ending quest which cannot satisfy our deepest longings. 
Proverbs 23, verse 4, Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. When your eyes light on it, it is gone. For suddenly it sprouts wings, flying like an eagle towards heaven. You'll never acquire enough money to bring you happiness. Many of the richest people in the world experience great depression and disillusionment with life. Others seek to find happiness through things like drugs or alcohol, thinking that an escape from reality, the harsh realities of life, is what is needed to find happiness. Proverbs again warns that such a lifestyle leads to more sorrow and more suffering in the end. Proverbs 23, verse 29 and following, Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaining? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Those who tarry long over wine. Those who go to try mixed wine. Do not look at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup and goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a serpent and stings like an adder. Your eyes will see strange things, your heart utter perverse things. You'll be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea, like one who lies on the top of a mast. They struck me, you will say, but I was not hurt. They beat me, but I did not feel it. When shall I awake? I must have another drink. Proverbs warns us about pursuing these things, not as a restriction on our freedom, but because they don't bring true happiness. It's like God is trying to tell us Don't chase after these things, not because I'm wanting something negative for you, but because I know that they will not make you as happy as you think they will. Just as God wasn't trying to restrict the blessing and the freedom and the pleasure of Adam and Eve when he told them to avoid eating that fruit. The whole point of the command was for their benefit. God knew they would be better off and more happy if they submitted to his plans and enjoyed the blessings of Eden rather than rebelling against them. And so often, you and I fall into the same lie of the serpent, that God is somehow holding out on us, that there's something out there that will bring us more joy, ultimate happiness, and God doesn't want us to have it. Some people seek happiness through money, others through possessions, some chase after happiness through drunkenness, and others seek happiness through sexual exploits. Again, Proverbs tells us that this will also fail to ultimately satisfy us. Proverbs 7, verse 1. My son, keep my words and treasure up my commandments within you. Keep my commandments and live. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the table of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister, and call insight your intimate friend, to keep you from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words. For at the window of my house, I have looked out through my lattice, and I have seen among the simple. I have perceived among the youths a young man lacking sense, passing along the street near her corner, taking the road to her house, in the twilight, in the evening, at the time of night and darkness. And behold, the woman meets him, dressed as a prostitute, wily of heart. She is loud and wayward. Her feet do not stay at home. Now in the street, now in the market, at every corner she lies in wait. She seizes him and kisses him. With a bold face, she says to him, I had to offer sacrifices, and today I paid my vows. So now I have come out to meet you, to seek you eagerly, and I have found you. I have spread my couch with coverings, colored linens from Egyptian linen. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love till morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. For my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He took a bag of money with him. At full moon, he will come home. 
With much seductive speech, she persuades him. With her smooth talk, she compels him. All at once, he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter. As a stag is caught fast till an arrow pierces its liver, as a bird rushes into a snare, he does not know that it will cost him his life. And now, O sons, listen to me. Be attentive to the words of my mouth. Let your heart turn aside. Let, your, let not your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. For many a victim she has laid low, and all her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is the way to Sheol, going down to the chambers of death. Solomon knew better than anyone that a life of sexual indulgence doesn't lead to happiness. And so he urges his son in these chapters, he urges all of us reading Proverbs today, don't fall into this trap. Don't believe the lie of Satan that happiness is to be found pursuing a life of sin. Next, Proverbs 13 verse 12 says, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. These other alternate paths of happiness never fully satisfy. The desires intensify the more that we pursue them, which is what Proverbs is warning us about. What we should be desiring, what we should be pursuing is a happiness that is fulfilling, that lasts, that ultimately satisfies. Many of the things that we think will bring us pleasure ultimately lead to unhappiness and depression. As Proverbs 14 verse 13 says, even in laughter the heart may ache and the end of joy may be grief. Uh, here, here's how the NLT translates the same proverb, same point, but much clearer. It says, laughter can conceal a heavy heart, but when the laughter ends, the grief remains. Often the types of activities that we engage in to distract ourselves and make us happy in the moment is very temporary. The kind of happiness that Proverbs wants us to find is a life of happiness, a life without regrets, a life that is rich and full, a joy that remains. You could call it the good life. Proverbs 10, verse 22, the blessing of the Lord makes rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. Deep ha happiness is what we should be after, not shallow happiness. <coughs> we talked about this some on Wednesday night during our Bible study, how some of the things that seem like happiness really end up bringing more hardship, and some of the things that seem hard in the moment and less desirable result in a better quality of life. For example, uh, Proverbs 6, 6 says, Go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. The ant works hard and has food to gather in the harvest as a result of the diligent work. The sluggard sleeps and rests, and poverty comes on him as a result. Now in the moment, the sluggard may seem to be happier than the hardworking person. After all, he's getting to sleep in, he's getting to relax, he's not having to get up early and go to work day after day while the other guy is. But if you zoom out, if you look at the totality of their life, you see who ends up suffering as a result of their poor choices and who actually is living a life of happiness. So don't be content with shallow or temporary happiness. Seek after deep joy, a happiness that endures, ultimate satisfaction 
and fulfillment. And all of this brings us to the answer of Proverbs. How are we to find this kind of happiness that Proverbs wants us to experience, uh, the blessing that God desires all of us to live in? How do we find this? Or another way to ask the question, what is the good life according to Proverbs? And the answer is wisdom. That is the path to true happiness. Proverbs 3 verse 13 says, Blessed is the one who finds wisdom, the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver, and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand, and in her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. We're all seeking happiness. Some of us just don't know what it truly is. We think happiness is found in the things the world prioritizes. Proverbs tells us, forget all of that and seek different priorities. Chasing after happiness through sinful or worldly avenues is like spending your life climbing up a ladder only to find that it's been leaned up against the wrong building. Wisdom is the only path to true happiness. Proverbs 24, verse 13, My son, eat honey, for it is good, and the drippings of the honeycomb are sweet to your taste. Know that wisdom is such to your soul. If you find it, there will be a future, and your hope will not be cut off. True joy, true happiness that lasts, is found in the way of godly wisdom, not the way of the world. This is the central teaching of Proverbs on the subject of happiness. Real happiness comes through making wise decisions. A series of wise choices made over a long period of time leads to a full and rich life of God's blessing. Now, with that understanding, here are five very practical pieces of advice that Proverbs gives us in our pursuit of true happiness. If you want to know, how do I experience joy? How do I experience the good life? According to Proverbs, here it is. First, meditate on the word of God. Saturate your mind with scripture. Proverbs 16, verse 20. Whoever gives thought to the word will discover good. And blessed is he who trusts in the Lord. True joy in life comes first through knowing God and his ways. Without that foundational knowledge, you'll end up chasing after all of the idols of this world that lead to disillusionment and dissatisfaction. A life that is guided by the principles of scripture is a life of true joy. As Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither, and all that he does, he prospers. You see in this psalm that delighting in the word of the Lord, meditating on it day and night, is what leads to the good life. And in particular, regular reading and rereading of the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 22, verse 17 says, Incline your ear and hear the words of the wise, and apply your heart to my knowledge. For it will be pleasant if you keep them within you, if all of them are ready on your lips. These passages are telling us that we ought to be very familiar with the Proverbs that we've been studying these last several months. Uh, last night before I went to bed, I just read through the book of Proverbs. You can do this about an hour and a half. It doesn't really take that long. And I highly recommend it to you, especially having gone through the, the book as we have. You'll notice 
uh, certain patterns, things will jump out to you that are particularly applicable to you wherever you're at in life right now. And we ought to be so familiar with these instructions and wisdom that they are ready on your lips. If you're that familiar with Proverbs, it will begin to direct your thinking, the decisions that you make. And the more that you walk down the path of wisdom, the more you will find fullness of life and happiness. Next, <clears throat> excuse me, Proverbs says to learn to enjoy the simple pleasures of life. Proverbs 15, verse 15 says, all the days of the afflicted are evil, but the cheerful of heart has a continual feast. Better is little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fattened ox and hatred with it. You can live a life, a simple life, with the maximum joy possible. This is one of the lies of the world, the idea that you have to have this a sort of extravagant, extreme lifestyle in order to find more and more happiness. Proverbs says that this, the good life is often a simple life. The cheerful of heart has a continual feast, even when there's only very little in his possession. When all he has is a dinner of herbs, but there's love there, there's peace there, there's joy there. That is the good life according to Proverbs. You can live a simple life with the maximum joy possible. In fact, often when you leave the country, you go outside of the United States somewhere with a far lower standard of living, you'll meet people who are very poor, they're lacking so many of the conveniences and comforts that we all take for granted in America, and you'll find that these people are as happy as can be. You've got kids in America with all the technology and the games and the toys that you can imagine. Meanwhile, the rates of depression and suicide are through the roof. Then you look at third world countries where kids only have a soccer ball and they're as happy as can be. And if we're honest, I think some of us adults are no different. Uh, we are very spoiled with the American lifestyle, so much so that we no longer can find joy and pleasure and enjoyment in simple things. The cheerful of heart has a continual feast, regardless of the circumstances. This proverb is telling us it is better to have a scanty meal with love than a feast with hatred. Learn to enjoy the simple pleasures in this life. Proverbs 24, verse 13, my son, eat honey for it is good, and the drippings of the honeycomb are sweet to your taste. Again, Proverbs 17, 1, better is a dry morsel with quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. Money isn't all it's cracked up to be. Uh, riches and possessions don't bring happiness. Love, peace, joy, these are far better and should be pursued far more than riches. The world is lying to you about what the good life is. True joy, richness of life, is often found in a very simple lifestyle. Next, Proverbs teaches us to prioritize our family. This has been very present in all of these Proverbs we've just looked at. Better is a small meal where love is than great feasting with a house full of strife. Happiness starts in the home. And so if you want to pursue happiness in a way that ultimately satisfies, begin by cultivating a good relationship within your family. Proverbs 17, verse 6, Grandchildren are the crown of the aged, and the glory of children is their fathers. Prioritize your family. Uh, all throughout Proverbs, there is this emphasis on the joy that is to be found in good family relationships. Uh, whether it's the joy that children bring to their parents, the joy between a husband and wife, we ought to work to cultivate 
love, and peace in the home. This is the good life according to Proverbs. Next, we are to honor the Lord. Keep your devotion to God as the priority in your life. Proverbs 3, verse 5 and following says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Three commands in this section. First, trust the Lord. Second, fear the Lord. Third, honor the Lord. And if you live this way, not trusting in your own understanding, not being wise in your own eyes, not doing whatever you please, but rather letting the Lord direct your paths, then, Proverbs says, you will find healing and refreshment and blessing. This is the good life, one that is lived for the glory of God. Proverbs 19, verse 23, the fear of the Lord leads to life. Whoever has it rests satisfied. He will not be visited by harm. True life, true satisfaction starts by fearing the Lord and walking in his ways. Proverbs 22, verse 4, the reward for humility and the fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. Lastly, Proverbs tells us to love God and love others. Remember, this is how Jesus summarized all of the Old Testament when he was asked, what are the two most important commands in Scripture? He said, love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. And Proverbs says that those who are pursuing these two commands, who are pursuing love for God and love for others, will find true life. Proverbs 21, verse 21, whoever pursues righteousness and kindness will find life, righteousness, and honor. You see the two pursuits at the beginning, righteousness and kindness. Make it the pursuit of your life to live right before God and to treat others well, and you will find the good life. Pursuing God, pursuing loving others. And so now we get back to where we began. I know this all sounds sort of simplistic, like, boy, everything seems great in Proverbs, like, uh, if you do these certain things and you walk in God's ways, everything's going to be a bed of roses. Not quite. How does sacrifice fit into this topic of freedom? Aren't we called as Christians to lay down our lives to count the cost of discipleship? Doesn't Jesus call us to give things up now for the sake of the kingdom? Isn't suffering a part of the Christian experience? The answer to all these questions is yes. It is true that we are called to sacrifice. But even in that sacrifice, we find a greater joy. This is part of what we've seen in Proverbs, that a self-centered life where you never sacrifice anything, you do whatever is most pleasing to you, in the end makes you miserable. Whereas a life of service to God, a life of loving others, leads to fulfillment and joy. The things we've been called to give up as followers of Christ are the temporary and unsatisfying pleasures that leave people depressed and disappointed. We don't sacrifice true joy, only the facades of happiness that the devil tries to deceive us with. Now, on the point of suffering, it is true that we live in a fallen world. We live in a good world created by God, full of blessing, and yet also cursed by sin. And so while there are still so many wonderful things to enjoy, life will also have times of suffering and pain. This is true of all people. But even still, the best life under the sun is one lived in wisdom. 
where the principles of Scripture are directing our paths. And as Christians, we have a future hope. Proverbs 10, verse 28 says, The hope of the righteous brings joy, but the expectation of the wicked will perish. The hope of the righteous is beyond just this life. Whatever suffering we endure right now, it is not ultimate. Uh, The promises of joy to the Christian isn't all about the here and now. Our happiness will never be ultimate in this life. It can't be as long as sin remains. Uh, Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. So yes, we will go through times of suffering. But Paul says there is a glory that is coming for us in the future. And that glory that awaits us as believers will make our time of suffering in this life seem utterly insignificant in comparison. Verse 19, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we uh, wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Paul is saying in these verses that all of the world, all of creation, is longing for the day when it will be renewed when Christ will return and raise the dead, and we will never experience sickness or death any longer. Sin will be eradicated, and Christ will rule the world in righteousness and peace. And with that hope of our future, we know that whatever hardships we go through now, they are temporary. Eternal joy, eternal happiness with Christ awaits each one of us. 2 Corinthians 4.16 So we do not lose heart, though our outward self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. As Jesus said in his famous Sermon on the Mount, blessed are those who weep now, for they will laugh. Blessed are those who are hungry now, for they will be satisfied. Blessed are those who are hated for following Christ, because your reward is great in heaven. And so with the acknowledgement that there is suffering, there are negative effects of living in a fallen world, and ultimately joy will come when Christ returns and makes all things right, we want to also learn how to cultivate thankfulness for the many blessings that are still a part of our everyday experience. As Paul writes in 1 Timothy 6, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. We as Christians need to develop a theology of enjoyment. Yes, we are to labor. We are to work for the Lord. Yes, we should worship God. We should live lives of obedience to his commands. But all of that should be done with joy, not obligation. We should learn to set our hopes and trust in the Lord and then cheerfully enjoy 
the many good gifts that he has provided for us. And here's where we correct that view we mentioned earlier, that the Christian life is all duty and all obligation and all sacrifice. Now listen to what the Apostle John wrote in 1 John 5.3. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. This is a part of God's demonstration of his love to us, his commandments. That seems a little bit counterintuitive. You think of commandments as something that we have to do, but John says these are actually for our own benefit. And walking in his ways, following the commands of Christ, is not burdensome. Since Eden, all of us have had to fight the lies that God is holding out on us, that there's something better to be gained apart from obedience to him. But as we've seen, God knows best what will make us truly fulfilled and happy in this life. And that's what Proverbs is all about. We're coming to the end of our study of this book. In just a few weeks, we'll be finished with Proverbs. But as you think back on the various subjects that we've looked at, Recognize that these principles of wisdom are being offered to you for your own benefit. These are not harsh rules that must be followed simply out of duty. These are things that will bless you if you learn to walk in these ways of wisdom. Proverbs 19, verse 8, Whoever gets sense loves his own soul. He who keeps understanding will discover good. Your quality of life will improve as you begin to live out these principles of wisdom. This is a book, after all, of divine guidance from our Creator for our good. He knows better than you or I how to live life to the fullest, how to find true happiness. One more proverb, chapter 17, verse 24. The discerning sets his face toward wisdom, but the eyes of a fool are on the ends of the earth. Fools think there's something else out there, something just on the horizon, something worth chasing after. That will bring them ultimate joy. But Proverbs says, There is no greater joy than to be found in following the Lord and walking in the way of wisdom. God has given us so many good gifts in this world. Uh, You think about just the blessings of human life. God didn't have to make food taste good. He could have made it just bland and gross and something that uh, would give us the energy and the sustenance that we need, but not be enjoyable. And yet he did. God didn't have to make nature so appealing. God didn't have to make laying on a sandy beach so relaxing. He didn't have to make a fresh coat of snow look beautiful. He didn't have to give us wonders like coffee or chocolate, even better when you combine them. And so as Christians, we ought to learn to enjoy these good gifts from our Creator and give thanks to God for all of it. Thank God for the beauty of the sunset, the pleasures of a hot cup of coffee on a cold morning. Give thanks for all things. Now, it seems only fitting at this point that we would do just that, that they would, we would conclude our service by singing praise to the God from whom all blessings flow. So let's stand together and we'll sing.